really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we right. just start telling the stories and really flood the airwaves with something different? Hey, welcome back to the podcast. And today I want to talk about community dinners and the unchurched next door. So, 10 years ago, God called me to plant a church. So, so actually, April 2010. And we launched December 2010. And I had several people who said to me, you know, uh, people don't plant churches during recessions. Well, I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you. God said, you do. <laughs> God said, you plant a church. You're planning a church and you're planning it now. You have to start sometime. Who cares if it's a recession? Just do it. Um, and then three months ago, I said to myself, uh, you know, people don't launch dinner churches during pandemics, but apparently I do. So um, maybe that's just going to be the MO of my ministry, right? So if, you, if you're not supposed to do it, then apparently I'm, I'm going to be the one who does it. So last fall, uh, well, it's longer than that. It would have been last, last year, last spring, spring 2019, sitting in a meeting and well, it's not like it was a bad meeting. It wasn't even one of those meetings where you're like, yeah, this could have been an email. We are having some good conversation. Some of it was a little monotonous. Most of it was productive. I just remember sitting in the middle of the meeting and just thinking to myself, this is not my work. And I wasn't really even sure what that meant. Like it was just this thought, something the spirit was stirring in me, like this is not your work. Like what does that even mean? And I, I thought, you know, some of it was the administrative aspect of it, which is true. I mean, I can do it, but like of all the things that's most important to me or the things I enjoy the most, um, you know, that's, that's not it. I like to start new things. You know, I'm, I'm a apostle prophet and my ape is my apest. So it's not my work. So, so I spent the next several months trying to figure out what does it even mean? Uh, meeting a little bit more with my mentor, uh, found a coach, found a counselor. <laughs> cause you know, I thought part of me thought, well, maybe when I'm saying to myself, it's not my work that, cause sometimes God's stretching us and we just need to learn more. We just need to learn something. There's something we need to learn. And once we learn it, then we're like, it becomes a little easier. Like I didn't know if it was one of those moments where I don't want to do this. I don't understand it. So I'm just going to not do it. But so, which is why, why I got a coach, but started realizing that it was more than that. And this passion for the unchurched has always been a part of my ministry from day one, mostly because that's who I was. I was previously unchurched, no church background. I've told my story many times. You can listen to past episodes if you want to hear it in detail. And, and so that's that's been my my passion. So even when I did become a Christian, uh, and I was very much born again, uh, reading the Bible every day, spending time in prayer, my life was changing rapidly 
and drastically. But I spent the first four years as a born-again believer in the Catholic Church. I was involved in it, um, loved it. Messages were never long enough for me. <laughs> so those of you who have been to a Catholic Mass know most of the homilies are 10 minutes. 15 if you have a really good priest uh, who, who enjoys preaching. So they were never quite long enough, so I did a lot of supplemental, like, you know, found preachers on the radio that I liked. Um, uh, interestingly, as I've, as I've looked back now, uh, learned that a lot of the ones that I was really drawn to were holiness preachers, so they were, they were Wesleyan uh, in their theology. And a lot of them were expository preachers, and so they just started preaching through, you know, not just verse by verse, but they were preaching and teaching the context of the scripture. So understanding the context first before you pick it up and then transfer it to, you know, 2000 years later. And then of course that has become my preference in preaching. And it, it's also, if you, if you've read anything by Tom Rainer, uh, surprising insights from the unchurched or the unchurched next door, you know, he'll talk about the fact that the that's one of the keys for the unchurched. They they want good preaching, um, expository preaching, preaching in the context. They want to understand what is what is who who's writing. Why are they why are they writing that? Who are they writing to? What's the background that's happening? And then and then what does that mean for me? You know, if if that was true for them, in what ways? Is that text still true for me today, 2,000 years later or longer, depending on what part of the scriptures you're teaching from? But so the, this heart for the unchurched has been uh, from the beginning of my ministry because, you know, I spent four years in the Catholic Church and then some things happened and we found ourselves in the, you know, evangelical wing of the church and so foreign such a foreign culture. Uh, walk, I felt like I was walking into the twilight zone. You know, um, just nothing made sense. Never really understood why they were doing what they were doing. And nobody seemed to want to explain why they were doing Like, why do you do that? I don't even understand. Why, why do you have that there? Uh, what, what is this thing with these? Why do you have the kneelers up front instead of in the pews? Why... Do you have the pulpit in the center of the platform, but you don't have a communion table? Like, there are all these weird things that they did. What's the deal with the shaking hands thing? Like, I get, when I mean, we did sign of the peace at the Catholic Church, but like, you, you shook the hands of the people in front of you and behind you. You did not go and walk all the way over to the other side of the sanctuary and start, you know, Hugging people. That's just weird, okay? So there's a lot of weirdness. And why do you only do communion like once a quarter? Weird stuff. Obviously, there are reasons that we do these things. Of course, I don't know that most evangelicals know why they do them. Uh, after I've started uh, reading into it and then obviously becoming, uh, moving towards ordination, I understood the theology and the and the philosophy behind some of these things. Um, but nobody ever talked about them or explained them. Why do we do this? And why do we do that? And 
a lot of assumptions were made. Um, every denomination does this. They, especially the Protestant denominations, they have, like, why do you have acronyms? Why do we have acronyms for everything? Unchurched people do not know what an NYI, like, what is an NYI? So it's one thing to, it's one thing to explain what an NYI is, but nobody ever explained what an NYI. Matter of fact, I was in the Nazarene church for quite a while before I figured out all the acronyms and then they changed them all. Uh, so I just like start all over again. You know, it's funny to talk about, but it wasn't funny at the time. Uh, very much felt like didn't belong, didn't understand, didn't know who I could ask, and was afraid that if I did ask, that I would be, you know, that the person would embarrass me or humiliate me. Uh, and then, uh, true to form, when I got up the courage to ask a few things, I was embarrassed and humiliated because the person answering me didn't stop to think, you know, if they're asking this question, it's probably because they don't know. And they probably don't know because they don't have a church background experience. I'll never forget one of my first, well, it was my first time ever going to camp meetings. So for those of you who are not part of my denomination, we, we do this thing called camp meeting once a year. And it comes out of our tradition from, because our denomination was born out of uh, 1800s, late 1800s and tent meeting crusades, early 1900s. Um, so once a year, once a year, we have a week long camp meeting where lots of preachers and Bible studies and teachers. And so I showed up at the campground and had never been there before. Uh, really bad signage. Had no idea where I was going. Like no signs on the buildings anywhere. And there were all these buildings. And so I'm like, well, which one is the sanctuary? Like, where do you go for the seven o'clock worship thing? So anyway, I saw all these people standing there and look like there were some adults. I'm like, well, maybe somebody knows where they're, where I'm going, supposed to go. So I walked up and asked, Hey, where's the, where's the sanctuary where they have the Sunday evening thing? And the person looks at me with an irritated look on their face and said, the tabernacle. Uh, yeah. Okay. I guess the tabernacle It's that building over there. Uh, okay. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Obviously, if I have to ask where the sanctuary is, and I don't know that it's called a tabernacle, I've never been here before. And so some of us in the church don't, we don't, we don't reach a whole lot of unchurched people because that's our attitude towards the unchurched. We expect everybody to know how it works, to know the right words to say. We expect them to know when to stand and when to sit. And if they don't know, we laugh at them or we make them feel like they are idiots. And then we wonder why we don't have any unchurched people in our sanctuaries. So uh, when, I be, when I when I came on staff, my first assignment, uh, one of my first things that I did was put together a class called Questions Catholics Ask. And it wasn't really just for Catholics, but I did see that we had a lot of Unchurched Catholics who were coming in, and I felt their pain. <laughs> um, 
that they had all these questions and they didn't know what they were for, or why, what, what, the, what was going on, and why we were doing it, and they just needed a safe place where they could ask questions. And so that's what we did. We had a class called Questions Catholics Ask, and I kind of took some of the most common ones, but then at the end we always opened it up for other uh, other questions, things that had come to their mind that what about this and what about that and how does this work and um, so that's really always been my passion and I think you know a year ago I just had this deeper desire to reach the unchurched more than we were doing um, and Rainer talks about one of his books this idea of he calls them uh, he gives them five levels so the five levels of the unchurched he calls them U1, U2, U3, U4, U5, but whatever. Basically, you're going backwards. So level five, highly antagonistic and hostile to the gospel. Level four, resistant to the gospel, but not necessarily antagonistic. Three, neutral, uh, not really any clear signs that they're interested or open to discussion. Two, they are receptive to the gospel and the church. They're open to having spiritual conversations. One, they're highly receptive to both hearing and believing the gospel and uh, open to spiritual conversations that would be life transforming. So when I had the opportunity to do this dinner church, I think the reason for me is that Unchurched twos, threes, and fours are really my passion. Uh, helping people to just feel safe enough to begin having spiritual conversations. And that's really my, um, man, just moving people a little bit closer to the heart of God. There's another you know, scale you want to call it out there uh, that's a little bit more linear, and I don't really like that one. I like the idea of Rainer's Unchurched because you can look at it more of, think of it as a concentric circle. So if you have the bullseye, right, in the middle is people in a relationship with Christ that is intimate and transforming or transformative. So this relationship they have with Christ, they've entered into, we might use the term saved, They've entered into a relationship with Christ that is transforming them from the inside out, right? And then, so then if you think of the other levels as having to do with proximity. So the next ring of your circle would be the ones, and then the next one would be the twos, and the next one would be the threes, the next one would be the fours, and the next one would be the fives. Uh, and one of the reasons I really like this idea is because it has more to do with proximity rather than being in or out. It has less to do with, okay, you're in, you're out. And it has to do with uh, closeness, right? How closely are you following Christ? And I think it's it's a better visual, too, of, of how we really come to faith in Christ because it's more fluid, right? It's not, you're not in or you're not out. There are, there are seasons when you... Um, when you're starting to lean in a little bit closer to Christ and spiritual things, and then something happens and you feel yourself pulling back and becoming a little bit more resistant. And that, that tends to be how the unchurch flow. They tend to flow back and forth. And especially between that two, three and four area, 
of being open or being resistant to Christ and the gospel. And so just beginning to have more of a passion. I I saw that some of the things that we were doing in our community for outreach, we had, we've, we've got great connections. I'll walk through the neighborhood and people wave at me. They know who I am. Uh, call me by name. Same with some of the other people in our congregation and the other staff as well. So we've, we've built these relationships, but I wasn't just, just wasn't seeing people move into that area of two and three and then into the heart of Christ and realizing we need to create uh, a safe place for the ones, right? So we had a lot of safe places for threes, fours, and fives, but not a whole lot of safe places for the ones and twos and, and in order to help them to cross over. But they weren't ready to come in the doors on a Sunday morning either. So community dinners is is that avenue. Community dinners is that safe place for the ones and the twos. Um, moving, they want to move closer to that, uh, you know, to the inner, um, the inner heart of God, but they don't know how to get there. And this is just, it's too big of a jump. It's too big of a jump to go from two to I'm here on Sunday mornings. <laughs> uh, some of them do, some of them make it, but we were just seeing that that wasn't the case. And interestingly enough, I had actually spoke in February in, in Indiana at, I forgot what they called it, but whatever it was for, it's for, it's past continuing education for pastors, basically. And I was talking about the parable of the four soils and maybe I need to do an episode just on the four soils. So I don't know, maybe I'll do that next, but I don't want to go in depth right now about it, but I, I want to, I do want to talk about the parable of the four soils just briefly. And then I want to tie it into Wednesday night this past week when we actually launched our community dinners. So, uh, I'm reading Mark's, uh, account of it. So this is Mark chapter four verses. I'm just going to read verses one through nine. And then the next, the next part of chapter four, Jesus ex- explains the parable to the 12. So it begins like this. Jesus began to teach beside the lake and a large crowd gathered such a large crowd that he climbed into a boat there on the lake. He sat in the boat while the whole, whole crowd was nearby on the shore. And he said many things to them in parables. But while he was teaching them, he told this parable. Listen, a farmer went out to scatter seed. He was scattering the seed and some fell on the path. And the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. And then the sun came up, it scorched the plants, and they dried up because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked the seed, and they produced nothing. Still other seed fell into good soil and bore fruit. Upon growing and increasing, the seed produced in one case a yield of 30 to 1, in another case, a yield of 60 to 1, and in another case, a yield of 100 to 1. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to listen should pay attention. Now I'm reading out of the CEB, Common English Bible, 
most of you, well, many of you may be used to the NIV. Uh, and so the NIV talks about it this way. He says, the hard ground, the rocky soil, and then you had the third type of soil was the thorn, sisle, and weeds. And then the last one was the good soil. Now, oftentimes when I've heard this preach, I'm not necessarily going to say that this is wrong. I just want to look at it from a different perspective. But a lot of times people will preach this and they'll say, you know, these are the soils of our hearts. And so our hearts need to be uh, transformed into good soil. And I want to posit this idea that part of the task of the church, part of our evangelistic purpose is to prepare the soil to plant the seed. Let's look at it this way. This is what I talked about when I was uh, in Indianapolis. And I've shared this also with my congregation. I, um, so this isn't like the first time I've ever talked about this parable and looked at it this way. But let's think about you own 40 acres, right? So you're a farmer and you own 40 acres. Now, 10 acres of that land is hard ground. It's just been beaten down and whatever. I don't know. They played kickball on it, used it as a baseball diamond or something. So you have a quarter of it that's hard ground. You have 10 acres, then a second quarter, that's just filled with rocks. There's rocks and sand. And then you have another 10 acres that's thorns and thistles and weeds. And then you have 10 acres that's really good soil. Now, if you're a farmer, you have 40 acres. You could say, well, I'm just going to go out there, which is really kind of funny in this. If you read this parable, I mean, it's a little bit tongue in cheek because Jesus says there's a farmer and he's just scattering seed everywhere which anybody who's planted anything, I'm like, I don't have a garden, but I, I do have a few house plants and I have planted like basil and stuff and, you know, and mint. Um, you don't, that's not how you plant, right? You don't just throw your seed anywhere and be like, oh, well, a little bit over here and a little bit over there, right? You definitely don't waste your seed on the hard ground. And you don't waste your seed on the rocky soil and you don't waste your seed in the thorns and the thistles and the weeds. Like if you're an actual farmer and you're going to grow this food because you're either going to eat it yourself and feed it to your family, you know, or you're going to sell it to make money so that you can provide for your family. You're not going to buy seed and waste it. You're, you're going to plant it in good soil. You're going to plant, you're going to put all your effort and all of your energy into this good soil, you're going to take all of your seed and all of your time and all of your energy and you're going to plant it into these 10 acres right there. Now, here's the problem. Um, you, know, you have to provide for your family and you're either going to eat this food or you're going to sell this food or a little bit of both, but 10 acres is not going to take care of your family for 12 months. 10 acres is not going to provide for your family for 365 days especially when you're going to get into the season where you have to store it um, so that you can make it through the winter, right? Where there's the, the non-growing season. Everybody has a non-growing season. And, and so you, you're going to grow all of it. You want to have a, a, a harvest, 
an abundance so that it'll you can store that and then it'll take you through the time when you're not going to be you're not going to have any uh any growth you're not going to be able to harvest anything else harvest is done now you're waiting until you can plant again um so you're not going to what are you going to do with the other 30 acres are you just going to let it sit there are you, are you going to have 30 acres of unusable land and you're just going to let it sit there and you're not going to do anything with it and a lot of us, that's how we treat the unchurched. So we spend all of our time and all of our energy going off after the quote-unquote good soil, which would be Christians, people who already have a relationship with Christ, stealing sheep from other churches. How can we be fancier than the church down the road? How can we have better music? How can we have better programs than the church down the road, right? And, and all, all we're doing is stealing Christians from other churches we have 30 acres that we could do something with but see here's the problem those 30 acres require effort you're going to have to get a backhoe in there and dig up that hard ground you're going to have to get out there on your hands and your knees with with some shovels and you're going to have to remove all of those rocks Probably going to have to put some peat moss down, right? Uh, you're going to have to dig up the thorns and the thistles and the weeds, and you're going to have to dig down deep into the weed, into the roots to pull them up. But you have 30 acres of potential. You have 30 acres that you could plant seed and you could see fruit and you could see a harvest. But before you can plant, you have to do the work. And here's what I find, that the church in America doesn't want to do the work. We don't want to do the work because it takes time. We don't want to do the work because it takes patience. We want to go into an area and we want to be able to start planting seed. And we want to see a harvest immediately. We're not willing to stay and stick it out for the long haul. Now, I've been here for 10 years and I'm going to tell you, we spent the first six years at least digging up hard ground, plowing rocks, and pulling weeds. And you do a lot of work and you don't see you don't see any fruit because you can't even plant seeds yet. How are you gonna plant seeds? The unchurched require a lot of work, but we're so immersed in an American culture of microwave of a microwave gospel I'm like if you move into it here's the thing if you move into an area and you set up shop and you start seeing fruit immediately one of two things is happening one you're either stealing sheep or two you're harvesting someone else's work and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Paul says some plant, some water, some harvest, right? So sometimes you do. Sometimes you move into an area or you start a new ministry within your own existing congregation and you immediately start seeing fruit. But just be careful. Let's, let us be careful not to become arrogant because somebody did the work. Someone had to plow up the hard ground and someone had to remove the rocks and someone had to dig out the thistles and the thorns and the weeds before they could ever plant anything. 
And then somebody's been out there watering that thing, right? So, um, you know, so we need to be careful that we, you know, if we are seeing fruit right away, that some of it is somebody else's work. Now, sometimes it's our work. So Wednesday, we launched our dinner church. And I'm just going to tell you that we saw in one hour, I saw more pastoral care, more meaningful ministry, purposeful ministry, more kingdom work accomplished in one hour than we've probably done in the last seven months. Now, some of that was because of all the work we've done over the last 10 years. But some of it was because dinner church creates an atmosphere that naturally attracts the ones, the twos, and the threes. And so you're creating this safe place that naturally attracts them. Uh, ones, twos, and threes. So we had some people come. Now we had a lot of volunteers. Uh, and first of all, let me just tell you, it was hard work. Dinner church is hard work. Once, uh, one of the things I've seen uh, from other people who are doing this is once you have your rhythm, it, you you figure out the, you figure out how to streamline it. You figure out how to duplicate it in a way that's uh, you know simple, not easy, but simple. Um, and so, and so then you find your rhythm. It's just like anything else, just like your Sunday mornings, you find your rhythm, right? What works, what doesn't work, what works better than others, things that work better than others. Uh, you start to figure out how to work together as a group and a team. And so you got some of that. And so you're, you're working on momentum, but it is work. We have people who came that we just, we haven't been able to get through the doors on a Sunday morning. So they were, and they were ones, twos and threes. So they were, they were ready to start having spiritual conversations, maybe more ready than we realized, but in a context that was safe, literally safe, <laughs> because we were outside on the front lawn, um, because right now we can't do indoors with COVID and uh, the numbers are start the numbers are shaky right now in our area. Some of them, they've moved up a little bit and they're not stable. Um, we haven't had any massive spikes, but they're moving. Uh, so there were people who we invited who said, we really want to come to this. We're just still nervous about the numbers. Uh, so we get, so that a lot of good feedback in that of we're on the right track. This is a good environment. This is safe for our ones, twos, and threes. But of course, pandemics, <laughs> we're going to have to work around that a little bit. But some of the people who came, uh, I walked around and heard the conversations that were being have, had, deeper conversations, things about their life were being shared that we've never had anywhere else. So people were having conversations uh, at a whole new level that I've never seen at a Sunday morning coffee hour, uh, an after church potluck, definitely not at like, you know, soccer, but really this idea of sitting around a table, sharing food, was so common to us. It was such a common experience of humanity, right? So brought it to this place of us being just human that allowed us to have significant, meaningful conversations with people that we haven't been able to have. Uh, so we had about 35 people. A lot of them were volunteers. Uh, I think altogether, I think we had like about 12, 14 volunteers over the course of it, but some of that was still trying to figure out how we're, how to streamline having it outside. You got to carry all your tables out and then bring them back in. 
Um, so you need a few more volunteers for that. But we had members of the congregation who haven't been able to make it here on a Sunday in person because of the numbers. People who maybe aren't as active, even if COVID wasn't a thing, they're not here every week, right? They, they were there and they were sharing in ways that they've never shared before. People in our neighborhood that we've have relationships with, but we've never been able to cross them over into even participating in an event came and sat and ate with us and shared personal experiences out of their life. We need to become passionate again about the unchurched and finding safe ways, creating safe atmospheres for them. It just really, for me, it really affirmed everything that I've tried to do over the last 15 years, knowing that there's a hunger, a spiritual hunger and a spiritual yearning out there but creating an atmosphere that will allow it to organically happen in a way. Giving an unchurched person permission uh, to take control of the situation. I think that's what community dinner did on Wednesday. I think that's what the dinner church did on Wednesday. It allowed the unchurched person to take control of the situation, to take control of the conversation. Rather than the the churched person, right? Rather than the Christian to be the one who's driving the conversation or driving the situation or controlling it, you have to take your hands off and allow them to have the control. Um, Which, of course, we know it's the Spirit. It's His provenient grace that's actually at work in the situation. But just taking your hands off of it and giving them freedom to come to Christ on their own terms to allow the spirit to be the one who's guiding and directing all of it, directing their steps, directing our steps. Okay, so here's my challenge to you. Get to know your own unchurched next door. Uh, I would get one of these books and read it. The Shaping of Things to Come, highly would recommend that one, especially the updated, the second edition. I think it was put out in 2012. Spend some time in this parable. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this parable. And so each of them share a little bit, share it from a different perspective. They're all a little different. But really spend some time asking the Spirit uh, to help you, to teach you, to see where are the places in your community where you need to break up the hard ground, uh, dig up some rocks, pull up some thorns and some weeds, right? Uh, But also then, of course, we don't want to neglect the good soil, And I mean, I'm very much a believer in the Pareto principle, right? The 80-20 rule, some of you know that. 20% of your effort produces 80% of the results, but we don't neglect that 80%, right? So if we want to spend all of our time on the good soil, because as ministers of the gospel, we are responsible to make disciples in all nations, but also all contexts. So part of our responsibility that we have, we do have a responsibility to breaking up the hard ground and removing the rocks and pulling the weeds, um, because you don't want to waste, you don't want to waste that either. Those are real people. You know, it's not just an analogy. They're real people. Um, they have names, they have lives, they have wounded hearts and they need Jesus. Um, maybe we just spend... Uh, a little bit less time with churched people, 
spend a little more time with the unchurched, spend a little more time with the ones, the twos, and the threes, without also neglecting the fours and the fives. So I'm just leaving that with you. Uh, we'll be in quarantine, right? It's not like this is going away tomorrow. So we'll, we'll continue to be at some level of stay-at-home order now, probably until January 2021. So, hey, Use this time. Get to know your unchurched in your community. Uh, read some books. Start thinking about the areas where you can make some changes. Highly recommend you consider dinner church. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to leave you with these words. And I'm going to quote Dr. Ron Blake, who wrote uh, in my book, The Unchurched Next Door, May God bless you as you seek to reach and minister to your own unchurched next door. Mm -hmm.